Deezer Originals. Now, it's time for Strong and Stable. Strong and Stable, 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 Strong and Stable. Hello and welcome to Strong and Stable, the show that asks so many difficult questions, it needs its own bodyguard. I'm your host, Aisha Hazarika, and I'm a comedian, broadcaster, and former political advisor to Ed Miliband, meaning I hail from a time when the worst thing a politician could do was eat a bacon sandwich. A bit funny. Halcyon in days. In this week's news, the election result in Germany so undermined Angela Merkel's fragile coalition that she's considering doing a deal with the DUP. While over in America, Donald Trump extended the ban on people entering the US to North Koreans, Venezuelans and NFL players returning from Wembley. But fear not, firing the satirical chat missiles at the incoming ICBMs of this week's news are our three guests. Alistair Campbell, journalist, broadcaster, former spokesman to Tony Blair, and a man whose name conveniently fits the Oh Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> chant. <laughs> right, come on, we've all got to do it. Oh, Alistair Campbell. You can do it, loads of them. Oh, Lady McCluskey. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. Now, Alistair once accused the media of being obsessed with spin doctors in a 12-page article he wrote for the Daily Mirror. (laughs) Susie Ruffle is a comedian who The Guardian described as a stand-up gem, which makes her actually sound more like a tiny wee lettuce. (laughs) She recently tweeted that her cat smells of frazzles, which is worrying because frazzles is her hamster. (laughs) And Ian Dale, a political commentator and broadcaster. Ian once wrote a book about Tony Blair called The Blair Necessity. A terrible pun, I think you'll all agree, but apparently my little Tony was already taken. So these are our guests, and as we try to brighten your week, I can see the first topic hove into view as I peer at my script. I'm really sorry, we just had to get a lot of puns in, because, (laughs) of course, we've just finished Labour Party Conference. Thank God for that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it seemed that there was so much applause for old white dudes in favour of Brexit at the Labour Party, you could have been forgiven that you were actually at the Tory one. (laughs) Although, of course, Labour decided not to officially debate Brexit at all. I mean, it's not like it's the defining topic of our time or anything like that. I want to start with you, Alistair. What do you think of the Labour Party conference? Do you think they had a good one? Well, they did by the what they set out to do, which was to cement Jeremy Corbyn's position as leader, to give out a sense of real kind of excitement and enthusiasm. Uh, I only went down for the one day. I went down for the, the Bre- anti-Brexit rally where I spoke and I played the European anthem on my bagpipes. <laughs> as you do. As you do, and as I shall be doing in Manchester you, as well. I think that's what was missed. That's why we didn't win the campaign, the EU referendum. We I, should have had Alistair in the bagpipes. Certainly, you certainly could have done with a bit more life in it, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but I... I and look, there's no, there's no point denying I'm, I'm not a Corbynista, never have been, uh, but he's completely in charge. And the the question for me is whether there wasn't a danger that there's a real gap opening between that mood that was there and what people out in the public are saying. So this week I've been out, I was at a military thing, I was at a couple of business things in a school, a charity, I've done all sorts of different things. The, apart from the school, where there was a lot of enthusiasm for the idea of Corbyn as, as Prime Minister... 
out in the real world, I think they've they've got to face up to the fact there was there was too much for me. It was like they won. Then McCluskey <laughs> even said we did win. We lost. We lost against the worst campaign any of us can remember. So look, it was a success on one level, but I think they've got to face up to the fact there's a long, long way to go to get back into power. I think my main thing was the feelings that like Corbyn has so won. He was like so the man, and everybody has to be a Corbynite now. Even Tom Watson, the deputy leader, who actually said that he had a moment of clarity about Jeremy Corbyn in the middle of the night at Glastonbury. I presume this is when he was having a dump in a portaloo, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I mean, what people oh, are doing in the middle of the night in Glastonbury. Teacher. I don't think it'll be there. Already. Be... already? Come on, you know me. Now, Susie, what do you think about it? You're a probably a bit more cutting edge than my dear old friend Alistair. Do you uh, think what? that... What? Yeah, well, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I can uh, say that. What do you think? What do you think in I terms think... of the Corbyn phenomenon? I, I agree with Alistair about that. So I'm 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 definitely Labour, but I wasn't a huge Corbynite. I do like him. I I was I was really impressed by how much how much my how how fond I grew of him as the campaign continued. But I think, like Alice is saying, the I think people are people are sort of bored of politics. I think. What? Like I don't. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But like you know, I get out on I get out on stage every night and I do you know I talk about Brexit and I talk about politics and I talk about that my politics is sort of different from my family's and how that sort of and, and people people seem to be a bit tired of hearing about it I think people are like oh god there's there's so much I don't know there's so much misery it just seems like the excitement has has left slightly and certainly with like the the younger vote which I know was really really exciting and really great it's like well there's something else now what's next like I don't know I feel like I'm, I'm excited for what's going to happen next within the party and I like I know I was watching stuff from the Labour Party conference and he got like a two and a half minute standing ovation and that's great no it was a two and a half day standing sorry okay sorry <laughs> I, yeah I did actually just yeah I, I did nip in and out of it so that, that does make sense uh, but yeah, I wonder sort of what's next. And I feel like, certainly with stuff like not debating Brexit and that sort of thing, it's like, it almost feels like someone needs to sort of like take the party by the scruff of the neck what, and go, take, this is what we're doing. This maybe is what... take back control. Well, yeah, kind of. It's. I did feel on the Brexit thing. I mean, I know Ian is a, thinks I'm a complete fanatic, which I, and I have become more fanatical actually since the referendum because I do feel we're losing something very, very precious. But I, I when I talked about this talk I did in the school to these kids and the, the, and I was I was genuinely saying to them why do you like him so much and the thing that comes back is he's he's really honest he's really truthful he lives out his principles and I said well listen to me internationalism solidarity Britain as part of the European Union that to me is a political principle mm. and I'm going to fight for that and he didn't fight for that, and he wasn't fighting well, for that this week. Because he didn't week. believe in it. He's never exactly. believed in the exactly. EU. Exactly. That, well, he should say that. He should well, be honest I, about I that. I agree, but right throughout this whole thing, we've all known what his real views are. He's voted against the EU a, a, a bit the same as John Redwood. If you look at their voting records, they're very similar on it. John McDonnell is exactly the same. Yeah. And yet they've maintained this pretense that somehow they... they, they I, I mean, I don't actually believe he did vote Remain. He says he did, but I, I suspect in the... Dale calls Corbett a liar. <laughs> Not for the first time. I mean, he went on holiday in the middle of the, the campaign. I mean, that's not a man straining every sinew. No, because the one heart. thing we've seen in the, in the leadership campaigns and the general election campaign, he's, 
He's a very, very energetic campaigner when it suits him. And, and and he didn't campaign in the referendum. D- during the uh, le- first leadership election, I did a debate with them all um, in, in LBC studio. And the other, th- was it three or four of them, they just kept dancing around all the issues, wouldn't answer a question. And there was a poll out that morning in the Times that showed that he was ahead, I think, 42% or something. And I just launched into the other vault because he gave me... I, I said to him, what position would you give Ed Miliband in your shadow cabinet? And the others just wouldn't answer it. And he said, I'd make him shadow environment secretary and I said that's the reason why you're ahead because these other lot they won't answer the question and we've seen that over the last years people do see him as authentic yeah, but yeah. on the Brexit issue he's he totally genuinely is yeah, not. He's not I do. I did think it was really really ironic obviously um, we love the red flag and the Labour Party it's part of our heritage it's quite interesting that the only thing that got red flags was a debate on Brexit <laughs> <laughs> the actual thing but Alistair what I wanted to ask you now you were known as like one of the masters of kind of spin and party control and party control is very important in politics and what I wanted to put to you was Corbyn said that we're going to do everything different we're going to let party democracy flourish yet actually having this Brexit debate would have been a nightmare for them so didn't they actually do probably what you would have done if you were working for Blair which is said let's not bring this nightmare to the floor of party conference well I have to say Alistair wouldn't have done that he was a civil servant he wouldn't have been involved in party conference would you Alistair I was allowed to go to party conference but not to to that degree come on don't be so naive look at listen I, you've got to say they have they have got the organisation under control and the reason why Brexit got voted down as a topic for debate is because it was decided at the top to use the unions and the momentum, momentum organisation to make that happen and they did it now political organisation is part of politics and they've they've done it better than their opponents were doing it fact I like that uh, John McDonald said that, that he wouldn't be looking any further into the crystal ball for a definite position on the single market and I thought mate if you've got a crystal ball you need to start using it because <laughs> this has gone horribly Rock. Like you need to, you need help with one, this. One of the other interesting things was that um, I discovered Momentum have an app, and they were using that app to instruct all of their people how to vote in these decisions yeah. as to whether Brexit should be debated. Which and makes that, sense. that is what you call organisation. Absolutely, and it, and it does make sense. But I, th- I still, and look, it could be, it could be, and I don't know the answer to this, right? But. It may be they're thinking, right, a year ago, Jeremy Corbyn did not think he could be Prime Minister. Now he thinks he could be. But in the, the speech, he didn't mention the word Prime Minister once. And he never does. He never does. But the, but the point is, his, his belief of how he gets there now is that the government has to fall. Maybe the government falls over Brexit. Maybe then, if that happens, he is less likely to win an election if he, if he does go hard out for the position I'd like him to say, which is actually, you know, we've made a terrible mistake, we've got to look at this again. But actually, and that maybe down the track, as Brexit does unravel, that he engineers a situation back into a more pro-European position. But that, I don't know. That, there is a school but there is, But he's we, not being honest. That's we sure. Pete Corbyn now that, that it's only downhill from here. That may be wishful thinking on, on my part and on many other people's part, but things can change very rapidly. Theresa May was sort of master of all she surveyed on at the end yeah. of March. Uh, high in the polls, t- party totally behind her, and look what happened within a month. That could happen to Corbyn. I'll tell you the other thing that I think is really interesting is that at the last election, Peter Kyle... Ben Bradshaw, Stella Creasy, all sorts of MPs were going around saying, listen, vote for me because there's no chance Jeremy's going to be Prime Minister. Mm. Now, this time, there is a chance Jeremy's going to be Prime Minister and that is going to lead... Nick Clegg said something very clever. He said, at the last election... 
Corbyn got a lot of abuse and no real scrutiny. Yeah. The scrutiny is going to be real this time. I mean, it's very interesting. I, I thought one of the most interesting things for me was that last year, literally no businesses came to the Labour Party conference because we were basically like a laughing stock. This year, it was packed out, all yeah. the business delegations, because businesses are starting to think this guy could have a shot at the title. He could be in number 10. And I do think that has made the Corbyn team actually think, right, we have got to try and be a bit more serious. Look, clearly, Corbyn is presenting Labour as a government in waiting. I mean, maybe they're just waiting for the rest of the country to catch up with them. I don't know. But I think they have to be taken seriously now. I think they're not. And the one thing I would say is... I just think we're living in such disruptive yeah. times at the moment. And the more, like, the old guard, like Alistair and established political commentators say, like, Ian, you know, the public are never going to go from. You just never know. We are living well, in very don't. strange and, times. And most of us who make our living out of political commentary were made fools of at the election because we all got it wrong. Virtually and, and, everyone and called it wrong. Brexit and Trump. E- exactly. So I think people are going to be very cautious about how they predict what's going to happen. But if there's an election in the next 12 months, um, he's been making a prediction, I think he'd win. I genuinely think yeah. he'd well, win. Well, it depends who he'd be up against. And I don't think Theresa May's going to be there. Well, I don't think there's a magic... No. I don't know if there's a magic thing. But before we... Uh, as we sort of... Move Move away from Brexit and um, to the Tory conference. Just a heads up that we'll be chatting more about Labour and whether it's made politics cool again in our very hip and trendy bonus podcast, Extra Strong, Extra Stable. <laughs> Only if I know it's achingly hip, isn't it? Aching yeah. painfully hip. Only available on Deezer on Monday. Strong and stable. Now to the latest Brexit developments. The Prime Minister's speech in Florence was designed to break the deadlock and get things moving, the sort of verbal equivalent of a laxative. But it does seem that Brexit negotiations have now reached the point of seeing who blinks first. Thankfully for the UK, that won't be David Davis, as he's clearly fast asleep. That said, David has claimed a lot of hard work has been done, by which he means he's written his leadership bid and he now just needs to get the Telegraph to publish it. So... I want to start with you, Ian. What did you make of Theresa May's Florence speech? Well, I thought it was the Florence flop. Why did she have to go all that way to say sweet FA? Because Mm. she didn't really say anything at all that we didn't know before. Now, it may be that Boris Johnson's intervention the previous week had really stymied her, so she couldn't say what she wanted to say. Do you think that really spiked her speech? Well, it didn't help, did it? Uh, And I mean, what on earth he was thinking of doing that, I do not know. I don't actually think it was meant to be a leadership bid, but it was more sort of, look at me, I'm still here. No, 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 I genuinely don't think it was. Do you not think he's having a Brexistential crisis? (laughs) We're all having that. But well, you what, voted for it. I, I did. What, what, what's what's we've, we're now in a position where Theresa May sort of basically is going to her conference in the worst of all positions. I have no idea what's going to happen at the conference next week. I think there could be all sorts of machinations. Her greatest strength is that there is no obvious successor to her, and while, while that is still the case, she's probably safe in her job. Well, also, no one's going to want to come in and take the job while Brexit is still ongoing. It's best to let her do it, and then she can walk the plank. She's a body show, doesn't she, at the moment? She's just, <laughs> do, the, do things just ricocheting off of her and then someone else can move in? That's presumably what... Yeah, but there is no obvious person that's there to do that. If, if the Brexit negotiations end up going really well, you may be right. David Davis could be that guy, but he's nearly 70. Hey, um, that's not stopping us at the moment. I was his chief of staff during the last leadership election, and I don't detect any sign from him that he really wants to do this. I think if she resigned, he would be seen by many as sort of the, the safe caretaker candidate. But I don't, I don't see him machinating it. So, in fact, they've been sort of like two peas in a pod, which, bearing in mind that he, 
previously hadn't exactly had a very high opinion of her is quite remarkable in itself. And Susie, do you think the public, when you're doing your gigs, do you think your audiences are still obsessed with Brexit like we political hacks It depends are? where you are in the country. It really does, I think. And it depends. Like, you know, you'll go, I, I'm, I was very much a Remainer and it really <laughs> depends where, where, you, where, you're, where you go on stage and say that. Some people just don't want to talk about it. Some people are sort of in the same way of being like shy Tories, a sort of shy sort of leave voters or have realised they, they sort of... I, I, I spoke a lot in my show about it this year that I had a lot of family members that voted leave and then immediately regretted it when they realised because they believed lies on a bus and that's because that happened. And no, you can yeah, pull that face as much as you like. Bollocks. It's not bollocks. It's not bollocks. People because, no, because, believed because it. Because not everyone has an incredible education and they still get a vote. Not everybody has... People that live on council estates, people that didn't have... You know, that don't oh, understand... So stupid. People who voted no. leave are stupid. That's the narrative. No, that's the not the narrative. The narrative, though, the narrative is that people, some people don't understand what propaganda is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, well, and they don't in a general election. So should they not have a vote in a general election either? But Ian, you've got to admit, right... I mean, I thought the Remain campaign was absolutely hopeless. The Leave campaign was actually a brilliant campaign, partly because it used such powerful language. And one of the clearest slogans was £350 million a week for the NHS. That was very, very powerful. And then within hours, it didn't even make it till seven o'clock, Nigel Farage popped up, popped up on Good Morning Britain and went, you know that £350 million? It's not quite £300. So no, also, that was well, based... He wasn't that was running quite, that campaign. I know. He, no, was, he, he, he was actually against... Oh, come that. on. He, you can't say he had yeah, nothing listen, to do listen. with the campaign. This thing, about, this thing about lies, I mean, it's true, I think, that the, because we live in this kind of world where people are constantly looking for the confirmation bias to cement their own views, cement their own opinions, and somebody, somebody made that point that, you know, Trump, with Trump, that people took him, we took him literally, but not seriously, and the public took him oh. seriously, <laughs> but not literally. And there's a bit of that with the Brexit campaign. Well, there's but a lying, bit of that with all campaigns. No, wait a minute, but, the lie, but I do think with Trump and Brexit that the scale of the line. I mean, it wasn't just three hundred fifty million pounds. It was lower VAT on fuel. It was no VAT on tampons. It was more money for science, more money for universities. They went on and on and on. And then like, once like the, the campaign Labour Party was won, eh? well, that and, and that's one of the reasons. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why the scrutiny will mount. But I think the thing about Theresa May, I thought it was hilarious that she went to Florence and she said, "What we need is more creativity." She's the least creative <laughs> politician on the planet. Uh, so I love the fact that she went to Florence, the most beautiful. City and on she the did it in a port And she cabin. recreated like they were in a business centre at Milton Keynes. <laughs> it was like really quite amazing. It's amazing that she's still so bad at public speaking. She's so stilted in everything she does. I know. She's, it, she doesn't it, like people. I no. Think. I think, she I looks think like the, Mr. Burns' wife. You're right that in modern day politicians, we need basically the equivalent of Tony Blair, who is good at all of these yeah, things. Yeah, charisma. Um, Clement Attlee would never become Prime Minister in 2017. I mean, he's widely seen as one of the best. Prime Ministers, obviously, since the war. He wouldn't stand a chance of being Prime Minister in this modern but age, would he? But that's because we live so in, like, a social media, media world. world. Well, it, it, it does, but, I mean, he was a terrible public speaker. But it? look, I just, but just to take it back to the, to, the, to the Brexit thing, the one thing I think we've all got to realise is the country is still massively divided on it. Now, Alistair, I know you're very keen on... Um, trying to reverse it I and mean, Sadiq Khan said we should have a second referendum but there's also a lot of people who did feel we did have a huge democratic exercise yeah. we had this referendum you know we've got to stick with the decision I mean well, Susie what do you I want to ask you what do you think about this because I think I mean Ian and um, Alistair are very polarised on this but uh -huh. do you think a vote means a vote and people should just we should just get on with it now 
it's really difficult because I, I'm such a Remainer. Basically, I don't think that we should have ever had an opinion on it. I don't think that we ever had. I don't think me as someone that is, I'm not in politics. And I think the fact that everyone got a vote on this without having all of the necessary That's an argument for never having general elections, isn't it? Oh, we're all too stupid to vote. We're no, not, we're not, not we're informed all... enough to vote. So you think we, so you, do you think we should have a second referendum, yes or no? Well, personally, yeah. Do you think, Ian, do you think we should have a second referendum? No, I don't, because the decision okay. has been made. I mean, we'll what see. do we want? Best of three. I, 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 I think it's, it's not helping my side of the argument for people to keep banging on about a second referendum. What we should have is an understanding that democracy is a process, not a moment. And as it becomes clearer, which I believe it will, as it becomes clearer that the terms of departure are going to be catastrophically bad for Britain, then certainly Parliament should have a vote on the se- se- final well, deal. And it may be, actually, you also take that to the people. But I just think we've got to let this process play out a little bit. Well, I think on Brexit, I think Nick Cohen has best summed up when he tweeted, I think the only true British way to deal with Brexit is to pretend we never voted for it and all carry on as normal. I wish. You'll have a revolution. I think that it's so divided now, and especially, like, you know, throwing... Corbyn into the mix as well whether like you know coming up to we think another general election I think that I think that people like I know that you disagree with me but I just think people still don't have all of the information that they need and people are confused and I think that's just going to make kind of people angry on either side I, I think if you look at the polling at the moment you have half of Remain voters saying well I, I did vote Remain but actually just get, get on with it yeah I, so I think we've got there, like there 75% of, of the country now just accept it's going to happen I accept there's 25% that don't and want to reverse it Um, But I'm not quite... There isn't this binary split that there was on June the 23rd. Strong and stable. Now it's time to go over to our roving reporter, Jonathan Pye, who's not so much keeping the red flag flying as lowering it to half-mast. All the latest from the Labour Party conference, but before that, the traffic and travel... Oh, what an odd one this was. It's like like a victory parade for the losers. Uh, and next week it'll be awake for the winners. I mean, when I say awake, I don't mean awake. I mean, they can be pretty boring. Um, I, I mean, this one wasn't boring. It was just it was just odd. An odd mix of smug socialists waving their dicks around looking forward to finally going back to a three-day week, the lazy fuckers, along with confused and annoyed yet politely smiling Blairites trying to get involved, but looking as if they're at a rave but left their MDMA on the bedside table. Lots of confused people everywhere, you know, waving the EU flag like it represents the promised land rather than a rather insidious corporate block that we nonetheless would be better off remaining part of, along with loads of left pretending they didn't vote leave. Lots of them. Lots of pretending going on. Lots of happy lefties, lots of confused centrists and lots of elephants in rooms. You know, it's a... Well, it's a phrase, isn't it? The the elephant in the room. It's the, the thing you ignore. But... Yeah, yeah, that's that's the point. It's hard to ignore an elephant in a room, isn't it? That 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 that's the point. It, yeah, yeah. I suppose ignoring Brexit is easier than ignoring an elephant. I mean, I mean, if David Davis is in a room, my advice is just walk out. Just ignore it. There were loads of elephants everywhere. There was Adolf the anti-Semitic elephant, not seen at many fringe events. And of course, there was Bingo the Brexit elephant. He's the toughest and the biggest. So it's just easier to totally fucking ignore him. Just fucking ignore him. We're not in power. We don't need a detailed position on Brexit. So, you know, problem is they're, they're actually not wrong. 
I mean, just so many elephants. So many elephants, they even had a special room for them. There was a specific safe space, the, the elephant house, if you will. You see this? There was a safe space, a room at the conference specifically put aside so you could go there away from potentially offensive thoughts and ideas. At one point, you had the whole of the conference crammed in there, chanting, no one say anything I disagree with. No one say anything I disagree with. So in summation, the Labour Party conference, uh, there were some speeches. Emily Thornbury tried out a new stand-up routine. There was a safe space. In a demonstration of how much the party has come together and healed its wounds, they were handing out free copies of The Guardian and The Socialist Worker, so that's progress. And Laura Coonsberg needed a fucking bodyguard, um, which amazed me, because I wouldn't fucking mess. So, I mean, all in all, it's been a good one, hasn't it? Um, uh, What's up next, eh? Interviewing who? Dennis Skinner. Seriously? Fucking yes! I love conference! I love it! Strong and stable! Thank you, Jonathan, or should I say Dankeschön. And yes, that is my seamless introduction to our next topic, the German election, which Angela Merkel narrowly won after taking in one million refugees, but stupidly forgetting to give them a vote. (laughs) (laughs) The election saw the far-right Alternative for Deutschland party taking a big step forward. Sorry, that should read a big goose step forward. Hmm. The AFD being a party that's openly Islamophobic, homophobic and anti-Semitic. And they say three wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> in fact, a leading member of the AFD has been invited to speak at the UKIP conference this weekend. Honestly, these bloody foreigners, they come over here, they take all our speaking gigs seriously. <laughs> Is Ronnie Barker back? He could have written that. <laughs> I've got the glasses. I've got the glasses. So I'm going to start with you, Susie. How worried should we all be about the rise of the far right in Germany? Hello, history's called. Yeah, of course. It's, I think... Obviously, we're talking about the German election, but I think it's a much broader thing because it's worldwide. It's 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 the right worldwide, isn't it? It's Trump. it's Trump, Steve Bannon, it's Nigel Farage. It's it's happening everywhere, and I think that it, you know, it rising across Europe is is going to happen. But I think it just I think basically it just comes down to one thing, which is a lot of white men have become very concerned about karma, and I think that there that there's a there's an element now that people are really worried that they're going to lose their privilege and that the, the, there's going to be a spike i think in all over the all over the world for the right and do you which think is scary. that her decision to let in a million refugees affected the sort of swing to the right who were pushing a very hardline anti-immigration campaign? yeah definitely i think because it's you know fear of change fear of anything different and i think it it confirmed to confirm to some people in the far right what they wanted to hear like oh look you know they're, they're islamophobic they're home like you said before they're hugely concerned that people are going to take over their country and I think her doing that a million people they it just there were a percentage of people that were umming and ahhing and I think it just knocked them right and Alistair you know in terms of you know her very strong stance on taking in these million refugees is she now going to have to sort of slightly tack to right-wing concerns or pander to right-wing concerns? Well, I, even though she's a, I suppose, would in our politics be a conservative, I, I, I'm a huge admirer of Angela Merkel. I think she's an amazing politician. And I, and I think one of her great strengths, I think she is very, very pragmatic. I was really glad that she made it clear from the word go she'd have no truck with the AFD. Um, but the, 
I think she will respond to that sense of there being a change in Parliament. But you've got to understand her. Even though she is pragmatic, there, there are certain fundamental principles to her foreign policy that are absolutely unshakable. One is the commitment to the European Union, another is the commitment to Israel, and the third is the commitment to a strong relationship with the United States. Now, the third actually is the one that I think is is potentially most under strain. I think you've also got to remember, I mean, it'd be virtually impossible to imagine her getting a fifth term. So she's kind of in a she's she's in that position now where she can i think she can kind of go through the last leg of her leadership with pr- pretty clear about what she wants to achieve i'm glad she won again because i think actually it would have been awful and you say she narrowly won i mean their system is very very different to us i agree the story was the rise of the afd but it was also the decline of the S- of the spd merkel herself i think is still in a very very strong position and i hope that she'll that she'll stick to her guns on this and other european issues I mean, Ian, you and I were just in Berlin on Friday talking about this. You weren't meant to tell anyone. Oh, it's a secret. People Why? know. What happens in Berlin stays in Berlin. <laughs> what were you doing? What, did you, what happened to you afterwards? No, it's what happened during. Don't mention the dungeon. <laughs> don't, message the, don't message. mention the spicy German sausage. <laughs> God. We were, I, feel, I feel we were left out of this. Yeah, me too. She sent me a picture of it too. <laughs> so did you, w- was the result in line with, with what you predicted? Yeah. I think the CDU vote was a little less than I think virtually everybody predicted, also the SPD. Um, it's interesting that the Liberals did well. The FDP, who'd been out of Parliament, they didn't get to the 5% barrier. They got just over 10%. And everyone thinks they're like the Liberal Democrats here. They're not, actually. They're quite a Thatcherite party. They're socially liberal, but economically dry as dust. And the new foreign minister for the for Germany is probably going to come from the FDP, probably their, their leader. So I think that's going to have a, a significant impact. It may have a little bit of impact on Brexit because he's very pro-British um, but uh, I think in terms of the refugees I mean she it was a very courageous thing for her to do given Germany's history um, at the time most opinion polls supported what she'd done yeah. but if you bring a million people it doesn't matter whether they're sort of white Aryans or sort of Syrians it's going to be difficult you're not going to have the facilities to integrate them all at once and clearly there have been massive problems on that score and I think it's going to take a, a very long time for all that to bed down um, I agree with Alistair I think it's almost inconceivable that she'll fight another election but there's about seven or eight different candidates to replace her and there's yeah. not a single one that has emerged so far so that, that'll be interesting to follow. I mean, one of the things I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of hers as well, and I think in this sort of slightly, she's basically a Blairite. She's not a, she's yeah, not she's a conservative a, in what we would see, think of as a conservative. An incredibly strong, consistent, courageous, and pragmatic leader. And I think the thing that I feel about her at the moment is, in a world full of sort of insane man babies, she is this kind of like great figure of strength. I feel yeah. in terms of being the sort of world leader, she's a kind of great moral authority well, that's of the world wor- right that's now. What happens after her is 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 actually worrying because she is she's been so dominant and people see her she is a very nice person but i mean don't forget she absolutely helmut cole was her mentor and she absolutely destroyed him in the end to get to where she got to and she's tough and so when she goes i i I hope that unlike most political leaders and unlike most football managers and everybody else that I, i hope that she does understand that i'm sure she will her succession is incredibly important and not just for germany but for the whole of 
Europe and the wider world, so particularly if Trump's there yeah. for eight years. Few political leaders ever acknowledge that, well, do they? But also she the, might because she is mm, a bit but special. But I think, come on, being realistic, as soon as you say you're going, you, your potency does go in terms of your, yep. able, your mm. ability to own the future and own Absolutely. the future of your party. Well, look, I think we can all agree it's been a very exciting German election. And I think German election is now reframed as something Nigel Farage gets in his trousers when he hears that the far right has done very, very oh, well. Dear, that's that's very Strong and stable. So our final topic this week is Uber, specifically the decision by Transport for London to suspend its licence. Uber says that TfL's decision shows London is not open to innovative companies and they certainly have an innovative approach to passenger safety, which entails not actually providing any. Now, Uber has apologised following the ruling and says it will now go down a new route, although it will take longer and costs a fiver extra. (laughs) Um, I had quite an awkward moment at the Labour Party London reception and Sadiq Khan had just arrived and the buffet had run out of food and I suggested should we do Uber Eats <laughs> slightly awkward Sadiq just shot me a look it's sort of like moment. so kind of not funny <laughs> so was Transport for London right to suspend Uber's licence or do we think it was a politically motivated anti-business move by Sadiq Alistair uh, I mean, I've never used Uber. I know I'm in what? A, I know. What? What? I know I'm in a minority. You think you know someone? What, you, what do you do when you're at a house party at four a.m. and you need to get home? I go. I'll be, I'll be in bed by four. <laughs> Unless I was out at four o'clock, I was. I don't know what age. The I was. last but time you was up before we'd got... wet the bed, basically. Oh, please, we stop all your toilet jokes. I actually recently got this. My free sixty-year-old your bus pass Oyster card. I've that hit is... sixty. I know I look great. You get, you right, get a free one. Yeah, is that yeah. your freedom pass? Yeah, I'm only five years off that. Oh my so, goodness! And I, I've got to be honest. I have since getting it, just realised that buses and tubes in London are absolutely brilliant. It's you, taking you that. It was like you'd never been on the tube. No, before. I've been on them before. But things like just popping on for one stop, you'd never do before, or you know. So, oh, I, I, Alice, you've got to an age where you're <laughs> popping and nipping. Oh, That's shut up! <laughs> so, but listen, so I've never, I've never used, I've never used Uber. Um, uh, what I and I've and, I, and I'm I, black cabs. I've heard a lot about Uber. Mm-hmm. Uh, if without sounding too grand, a gentleman that I use myself to drive me from time to time hates Uber. Uh, I think that, and also I have noticed the congestion getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I imagine there's a knock-on effect for pollution and all the rest of it. I think what Sadiq has done deliberately, though. To get I think what out of London. I think what Sadiq has done and what the TfL are doing is actually forcing them to adapt standards that up to now they have not been doing and I suspect that's where it's going to end oh. uh, because well, I've been, I was amazed by that petition I mean God almighty you know that was fast to get into those sorts of numbers it obviously is hitting a, a mark but I think these big internet giants honestly I really think that we've got to watch how powerful they get uh, you know whether it's Facebook whether it's Google whether it's Amazon whether it's Netflix whether it's Uber that change is happening so fast and I don't I think the politicians have just very occasionally this is why I support what Sadiq did just to very occasionally say you know we're tracking this we're watching this and we're just going to I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right about the big tech giants I think they are the really big forces of you know globalisation stuff but I think on this um, decision it's actually apparently quite a narrow thing about the license it's not about pay and terms and conditions so do you think do you think we're reading too much into this well that's what I think because I think that it it is about it, like you say it's about something very small it's about a very narrow thing but but 
what it's been made into is like, oh, it's uber safe for women. That was the thing that kept coming back to. It's like, no, this isn't what the argument is. It's talking about sort of... Well, it kind of is, actually. Well, it's part of this. What I don't get, all the women I talk to about this, they, they say, I feel much safer in an Uber than a black cab. You look at the statistics, 48 women in the last year sexually assaulted in Uber cabs. Number of black cabs, one. Now, on what planet do people think, then, that, that it's not about safety? But I have spoken to a lot of my friends about this. I mean, there were terrible cases of um, rapes with black cabs. There were two very famous cases, Reed and Warburg. Yeah. But surely the issue is... Over about 15 years. It, surely the issue is, is safety for women across all forms of transport, whether it's a black cab, whether it's a minicab. I mean, getting rid of people in tube stations late at night is actually quite a big yeah. aspect of women's safety. But I think people should be in bed at four o'clock. Well, Sorry. there you go. I, 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 That's I, I, you're I, popping I, in the in the afternoon for When this decision was announced, I, I tweeted something like that there are going to be uh, tens of thousands of 20-somethings and 30-somethings gnashing their teeth at this, because that does seem to be predominantly... Do you mean gurning? <laughs> I tell you what, I, I, tell you what I was surprised at. I said this to you yesterday, that, that I, I think this, if this was a normal industry that we're sort of used to, the, the, the thing that seemed to be overlooked was like putting 40,000 drivers out of work. Uh, now, if that was a steel industry or a, you know, a coal industry back in the past, or, you know, you say take 40,000 workers out of the health service, there'd be a totally different perspective on it. So I think it just shows how the economy is changing and our understanding is changing. Millions out of London, right? That's taking millions and millions of pounds every year out of London. That's a move in in some ways by TfL because it's quite clear they will will get their licence back for the reasons that Alistair just suggested. But the wider point that you raise about all these sort of tech giants, um, they all don't operate under the same rules that the rest of us do. I run a publishing company. If I make a profit, you I pay my... I pay my I have yours, Alistair, Oh, actually. you did, yeah. Diary, <laughs> Diaries Volume 6, available everywhere. Um, but the thing is, Amazon have literally tried to stop small publishers like us selling books on our own websites, can yeah. you believe? They say, well, if you do that, we won't stock your books on our website. Yeah. Now, that was that came about five years ago, but I'm told they're going to try it again. Well, it, it's... It's interfering with the market. And you pay tax and they don't. Exactly. But do you think as well this... I mean, look, just to, to sort of kind of defend Uber a bit as well, it's a very popular um, thing with a lot of people, particularly women, actually, oh, because you can... get away with it then, because it's popular. You can, no, but is... You know, is there a sort of argument that we're being we're we're sort of too beholden to the black cab lobby, who are very very vocal? You know, they can well, they, been, they, they are being wiped out by this. Well, no, and, and, and that's trans, did, transport for London's they, fault because they regulate their fares, and so black cabs can't operate cheaper fares even if they wanted to. But did they get on board? Because I remember. I mean, you will have probably experienced this. It's late at night. You haven't got any cash on you. They can be very grumpy. They no, used they to be very ha- they grumpy. They all have credit about, card machines Yeah, but now. it took them quite a well, long they've got, time. They've got them now. Oh, they, but do you know that they, they prefer you not to? If they they go, oh, have you got well, cash there? Like, I'm not, I'm not... I've never had one say that to me. I mean, right. I've now started using a, a debit card on every single black cab ride I take, and I've never had a black cab driver say that to me. Admittedly, that's only in the last month. Um, How but, many people are out at four in the morning? I must try it one day. What, what <laughs> do you know, we're going to organise like... a special outing for you, <laughs> yeah. Alistair. Like, like we'll be your carers. We'll take you out for the night. I think like I think there's definitely pros to Uber, like as well, like you know, like 
safety for women, like, you know, receiving the, you know, you can share your pin with where you are with friends. Yeah. You can, you know, you can you know split the, the fare on the way home, stuff like that. You can, you, you know, know, the, the number picture, you know, the number the, plate. I'm, I'm not saying well. Uber is a great service in many ways, but if it's not obeying the rules under its license, then it has to be held I to account agree. for that. I completely agree, yeah. But bear in mind that on the, my first day at LBC, James Whale, who was doing the drive time show, then he said to me, um, get the black cabs on side because they will be your best advocates. So I never, ever say a bad word about black cabs because oh. he was absolutely right. And that's why he's pro-Brexit. Uh, I, 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 I had a Exactly. But you know what? I, have, I, right. I, I get recognised by my voice because they all have LBC on. Yeah, it's really yeah. weird. Yeah. So he, I just have to say one sentence. Oh, you're that Ian Dale, aren't you? He is <laughs> so here of the cab drivers. I regularly get a cab. After, we, we do a separate show together and I regularly get a cab and I get in the cab and they're always like, oh, really disappointed. You're not Ian Dale. And I'm like, yeah, clearly I'm not Ian Dale. <laughs> and they look really disappointed by it. It's strong and stable. Right, we're going to end with a little game. Who said it this week? Oh. Ian, this is for you. Who said there are no excuses for standing in the way of progress? I think Alistair said this earlier, didn't he? Was it this week? Uh, yes. I mean, Alistair said it earlier. Is it him? Yeah, I think it's me. <laughs> I say it every day. Alistair, everything is not about you, for goodness sake. I didn't say it. Well, I think I said it in my new book, From Blair to Brown, David Volume 6 Davis. The David Davis. <laughs> it was David Did Davis he? who also said that UK had concrete proposals, but there you go. I right. so, um, having to listen to him 12 there you years go. ago. There you go. Alistair, who said, the more I hear about Cameron, Boris Johnson and Rhys Mogg, the more I think Eton should be put into special measures? Uh, whoever it was, I totally agree with them. Uh, Angela Rayner? Fiona Miller? Fiona Miller? <laughs> she could have been No, another woman. Harriet? No. Emily? Okay, we're now Yvette Cooper. Oh, okay, good old Yvette. Okay, uh, this one is for you, um, Susie. Who said that governments tend to think that people from the north are a bit Luddite and, dare I say it, inbred? They genuinely think we're all a bit weird with three eyes. Oh, God, I don't know. Is it Andy Burnham? That's what I was going to say. That's quite a good guess. No, it was Angela Rayner who was oh, the yeah. shadow She's secretary. She's my new favourite politician. Yeah. I, inter- I interviewed her on Wednesday. What she kept she using the word minging, which I thought was great. great. And it wasn't about yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, fantastic. That was the week that was. And thank you so much to our brilliant guests, Alistair Campbell, Susie Ruffle and Ian Dale. And of course, to our roving reporter, Jonathan Pye. And a big thank you to writers Andrea Mann, Robin Flavel, Dan Bowman, Andrew Doyle and Tom Walker. Please comment, like, text, share and smother us with love and praise on iTunes and elsewhere. And don't forget to listen out for Extra Strong, Extra Stable only on Deezer on a Monday. We'll be back next Friday after the Tory party conference, which will surely be the greatest show of unity Manchester has seen since Noel Gallagher refused to join his brother Liam on stage at the One Love concert. Until then, goodbye. That was Strong and Stable. We'll catch you next time. Please subscribe. Deezer. Deezer. Originals.